Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Ross Tregenza for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the third-person horror game that's in the canon of the original groundbreaking film that came out in uh, 1974. Ross might sound familiar if you're a regular listener to the show because he was on the show a few months ago along with the CEO of the studio who made that game, a fellow named Wes Keltner. So Wes and Ross were both on the show a few months ago uh, to talk about the game, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we also touched on the music and sound a little bit as well. But now Ross is back to do a much deeper dive into that soundtrack. And we also talk about his music for Deathloop and Cyberpunk 2077. And his band, he has a band called Goteki. They are an industrial electronic band that I really enjoy. And uh, if you also like them, their music is free on Bandcamp. So go check them out over on Bandcamp, Goteki. Join us on Discord. That link is down in the show notes. You can uh, find us on uh, YouTube as well, a conversation with Ross there up on YouTube. Please subscribe and get notifications. And if you can support us financially, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash level. All right, we start off talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because Ross Tregenza did both music and sound design for that game. development company is audio director but in practical terms uh, for Texas Chainsaw I was the uh, lead sound designer and composer so I did like I guess uh, like 98% of the sound in the game and 100% of the music so wow it's um as a control freak that that was just my ultimate dream really <laughs> just, <laughs> just got to do it all <laughs> I've been trying to do this for years <laughs> really because I mean so many composers or sound designers would prefer to focus right so what I mean t- talk more about that I, I can see that and I think um on other projects uh it would make sense to be wanting to be really focused on one or the other but Texas Chainsaw it's like it's such a gray area the whole thing of what sound design and, and what's music like like the original film so it would have been much more difficult for me to have just been uh, like just the composer and figure out where I draw the line of what's becoming sound design, what's becoming like feedback in the game and stuff like that. But when I'm doing all of it, it's nice. I can, a lot of the sound design is pretty much music. A lot of the music is pretty much sound design. And it's, it's more of just one big canvas of stuff that's, uh, that's all part of the same language. So there's no, there's no sense of a divide. And sometimes you, I think you don't even, when you're listening, you don't even know if it's like uh, like environmental sounds, if it's a bit of the music, if it's uh, trying to tell you something. It's a little bit blurry and fuzzy around the edges, which I really like. Yeah, yeah. That makes so much more sense, especially with a horror game, right? Because, yeah. you know, I'm sure you can think of many projects where that would have been really weird to do both. or Maybe not weird, yeah. but just a little more complex. But the... They depend so much upon each other in horror. And I mean, you've been a horror guy, I don't know for how long, I just know you love it. And (laughs) so can you think back and remember feeling that way? Like, oh my God, I I would love to do all of it. I want to do the sound and the music for this project or, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I've been 
been a horror nerd my whole life. I just I love horror films and stuff. And um, uh, I, I've done uh, quite a lot of sci-fi stuff over the years, but never anything so very specifically in the horror genre before. So when like my studio boss, uh, Gary Edwards at Sumo Nottingham, when, when he announced that we were doing this, I, I just went crazy. And I for the next week, I was just thinking, they may have like a composer in mind already, or the, they they may uh, have like some uh, a very tight direction on, on the audio in general. But it's like I'm really going to try and just I really want to do this. I want to do as much as they'll let me. So yeah. I wanted to make sure like the all the first stuff that I did for them. Uh, yeah, I I just tried to do my you know, represent myself as well as I could, and um, and there, there was um, uh, sort of teething period where I was I was kind of I was I was trying to make it as cool as I can but it wasn't quite right and Wes was giving me immediate feedback of like this is too modern or this is too you know like sci-fi sounding mm. and so it wasn't wasn't quite right at first but we, we got there fairly quickly to the to like the basics of the language I was just watching the film again and again obsessively and then yeah. digging out all the uh instruments I had that that have got like that 70s vibe um and I'd, mm. I'd um I'd done Deathloop uh, just, well, within uh, 18 months or maybe it was two years. I can't remember the timeline, but, and that's a very like late sixties, early seventies feel to the music. So I had a bit of background with like uh, emulating like reel to reel tape and mm. uh, retro uh, like tape echoes and distortions and things like that. So I kind of had some stuff in my toolbox to get going already, but yeah, yeah. after a bit of a few first steps, it's like the language came alive fairly quickly, which is lovely. Sure, sure. And, you know, listening to it, you know, and I think there are many horror scores where, where that's the case, where it's this, it's questionable where one starts and the other begins. And and you get that sense as you're listening too. you know, there are a lot of tracks where you're like, okay, clearly I could be exploring the house right now. Um, yeah. And then suddenly there's Leatherface or whatever, you know. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, having, I spent a lot of time listening to a lot of your other music, particularly of your band. And is it, yeah. go, is it Goteki? Goteki, that's right. Yeah. Goteki, love it. And we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun. And so, mm. you know, it's obvious that you, um, you know, anybody who looks into your background can, can kind of find your roots, you know, and yeah. <laughs> even though the music in that band is like really, you know, electro, like, um, mm. uh, uh, well, yeah, just electro kind of like mid nineties. I think of like Depeche mode. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but it, I just, no, that's, that's very on, on, I love Depeche mode. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and so do I. And I think, you know, I connected with that immediately just, um, but a lot of that is really melodic, even if it's, mm you know, kind of, um, whatever genre you, you call it death, death electro, or what do you call yeah, it? Uh, th that's my yeah. kind of like sort of, uh, sort of colorful term for it. Like, in, I guess it's sort of somewhere between industrial and electro, really. yeah, industrial, a little bit of like new romantic in there and stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. And, but I mean, so much there's, there's melody, there's progression, there's, you know, form. For that lack of that was uh, yeah. difficult actually. Um, uh, yeah. Very much a, a a point of um uh difficulty moving from like uh being um 
writing music in my band and and uh, with other bands and doing remixes stuff like that like i say it, it's melodic it's very structured and i i've grown up writing songs thinking that you know they can be a little experimental but in the back of my head they always kind of have a bit of like intro verse chorus bridge verse chorus outro and um <laughs> Yeah. I really had to sort of uh, beat that out of myself a little bit when I started getting more into um, composing for games and stuff, just because it, it doesn't necessarily work. You can, if you've got like a lin linear piece, you can you can draw on that that background of, you know, bringing it up to um, a key catchy moment and stuff, but certainly didn't work at all for Texas. Um, it, it really needed to be purely uh textural and layered and uh i mean uh, with the exception of like there's about three songs on the soundtrack that are although they're still in that that language of the game and, and of the film um they are a little bit more in like a traditional song structure of at least they've got like hooks kind of whereas um uh the other also the other um tracks in the soundtrack that they're really just montages of elements in the game like they don't exist in the game in that right. form at all um, the game is made up of like, oh, I have no idea, maybe uh, 60 layers of, of textural stuff that that's uh, driven by what you're doing in the game and stuff like that. So it's it doesn't have any structure really at all. It's um, it's dependent on what you're doing uh, as a player because it feeds on uh, how healthy your character is, how healthy your team are, how recently you, you were attacked by someone, when you last saw somebody and stuff like that. So um, every single game really will always be completely different. So uh, there's, I mean, you can use structure and normally people do use structure in um, with those um, like dynamic music systems in games. And um, you'll be moving like chunk of music to chunk of music. Uh, you'd be like, okay, now uh, there's a bit more action. We're gonna move into a middle action. Now we've got a high tension state. And there'll normally be like 16 bar sections or something like that. You'll, you'll move between these loops and stuff. But so, the, the base principle was the same, but for Texas Chainsaw, there's no sections of music. It's just mm. there's like a, any given time, there's about 10 layers of, of texture that could swell up and swell down again, depending on what you're doing. And that, that, so it's this funny web of like distorted waves of noise that come in and out, driven by your, your behavior in the game, which is nice because uh, I've certainly never worked on anything so sort of abstract and loose before, which was, sure. was very different. some really incredible sounds too, like animal sounds and human screaming <laughs> and all the things. Um, do you want to just talk about a few of those things uh, that were kind of fun yeah. to decide to record? I, like your cat, because you just <laughs> yeah, did a BBC cat. interview that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> and, and you talk about your mom's fridge and just stuff like that. It's just right, hilarious. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think early on I realized that um, – the best thing I can do is try and be like uh, Wayne Bell, the original composer, what what I think he must have done, which is just try everything, throw things in, 
just slap the paint on the canvas is the way I like to think about it. See what happens. You can take things out again if, if they feel weird or, or they don't land. And so that that got pretty loose and pretty experimental early on, like right from uh, like the beginning when I was in lockdown and I was just wandering around the house going, okay, that's, that's a cool texture. I'm going to rub that with this spoon and then I'm gonna <laughs> hit that bit of sheet metal with with this plastic fork and just <laughs> I just tried stuff and um built that up um and then as as time went on so I was kind of collecting source material I was incredibly lucky that uh I, I'm sure we, we we must have talked about in that last interview about Wes's apprehension engine which is yes, just yeah. the, the coolest thing ever it's just um a handmade instrument that's just got like sticks and springs and like a, a spring reverb and and a hurdy-gurdy part of it and it's just everything on it sounds like the most terrifying thing ever <laughs> so horrific, we had yeah. that as like the backbone all the time to to like inject that into all the tracks um and I started building like all this my crazy stuff behind me I started building more and more and collecting more and more stuff that yeah, I I told myself I needed it for <laughs> to uh, to work on the the soundtrack, but you know I probably could have lived without it. But um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to sort of build it up and and get all these weird things. So uh, I got stuff like this little green fella over here. That that's um, a soma lira, which is um, uh, uh, this this cool sort of crazy Russian guy and his company build them, and it's um, it's like touch plates on it that that send it through your body so like depending on the moisture in your body and stuff it'll sound slightly different and it's um the pressure you apply on it uh and then sort of looping controls to find the sound and it just sounds really otherworldly and and you get that um uncanny valley feel because it sounds a bit like a human scream or a human moan but also oh, wow. not quite and it's 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 um i don't know some kind of like this sort of visceral uncomfortable feeling when you hear it because it's similar to to the sounds of like human pain or human scream, but just slightly off. And then I got this, uh, instrument called a, a, a scary crown they called it it's, it's a small italian company that that build these custom weird instruments and it's um you can't quite see it that's the base of it over there but it's got a little prong sticking out the top and um you just play it with a bow and it's um it mm. just vibrates through like the bass column and it just sounds like the gates of hell opening it's <laughs> it's just phenomenal I was, I was in love with it from the first second i tried it so yeah i just just built up more and more of these things and um as time went on, I got like more confident with with uh, knowing what would sound good with with the language of, of the game. Uh, generally, it was a case of not using much of any traditional instrumentation. There's there's a little bit of like uh, like Moog synthesizers here and there, um, but even then, not a lot. And the stuff that I did use from that would be just like a, a bass drone that I'll then heavily process with like mm. distortions and and stuff to cause it to like feel like it's vibrating or feeding back on itself. So um, with the exception of like one track for the credits of the game, which had a different vibe, everything yeah. else is really just, um, there's no traditional instrumentation whatsoever. So it's just been this ongoing buildup of crazy stuff that, that just, the more crazy stuff I threw into it, the 
yeah, it's sort of built on itself and it's yeah, it's a never ending snowballing process of horror instruments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh that credit song, you know, I just having the soundtrack on in the background and then that song started, and I was like, Well, this must be the credit song, because the vibe is so different, right? So so different, and you yeah. capture kind of the innocence. has kind of like a naivete to it right and but then it ends so bleakly the end of the credits song I'm just like oh god here comes part two but um (laughs) but but talk a little bit about you know the gear shift and just kind of the psychology behind making the credit song such a different tone you know I've I've always liked uh other games I've composed for uh, I've often tried to make the I don't know why I think there's there's uh, like a Gives it a nice feel to give the credits something different that's like a little bit of a different energy from the main project. I, I've always liked that in films when mm-hmm. they try something a little different during the credits. Um, this one came out of a discussion with the, the guys from uh, Gun, the, the publisher of the game. Uh, I had these just little stings when, uh, when you're playing the game, if you're playing as one of the victims, your goal is obviously to just escape the Leatherface and his horrific family. And so when you escape, I did like a little sting that was that was fairly quite in the language of the game, but pretty jubilant. It was actually like almost a major chord for the first time <laughs> in the game. <laughs> so it all we almost got a major chord in there. But um Wes and a couple of the other guys, they gave me some feedback. It's like, even if you've escaped uh this situation, nothing is ever gonna be good for them ever again because this is so <laughs> horrifically scarring uh, like the stuff that they've seen and gone through in this house which is like there was the 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 motto of the film was like who will survive and what will be left of them so so they wanted to do to be that it's like what's left of them when they've escaped they've lost so much everything else is just relentlessly harrowing and bleak but um i thought the idea of trying to do a song that's supposed to be like what it's like after the experience would be interesting so i tried to like have this balance of a little bit of tiny bit of relief but also just really sort of drenched in melancholy and this this tension that doesn't doesn't leave um i think i'd 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 remembered um, I don't know if I'm misremembering what the music sounded like, but the film Deliverance, um, oh. which I think that's mid seventies as well. I think I'd have to check, um, which again is a very bleak film. Uh, and at the end of the film, he's kind of escaped these, these murderous people and everything. And he, and he managed to kill them and escape and everything, but he doesn't, there's a lingering last shot of the river where it all happened and the banks of it. And there's kind of a sense of, he's not going to get over this and 
uh, I really liked that that as a mood. So that's what I was trying to do with it. I think I wanted to, like, yes, it's over, but it's going to live with them from now on. So, so t- you got. I got to hear about the cat being a cat. You know, it's it's well known. The, the the company is named after the cat and and all the things. So, um, so tell me about your cat's contribution to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> well, I mean, my poor cats have been here for. Cause I've I've done um, like ninety five percent of this work for my home studio where um, my cats are just living here with me so uh they've i mean my cat's been sitting on my lap for most of the time while i've, I've been doing the sounds for these executions and chainsaws <laughs> shoved through faces and things so he's used to it but um one day he was just very angry because his dinner was late while i was working and um i just thought he's he was doing like a really good, deep, angry purr vibration. I thought, I bet if I record that, pitch it down, reverse it, I bet that sounds kind of cool. So I did, and it did sound cool. Um, There's uh, out-of-tune televisions in the game, and the second I saw them, I thought, oh, that's a sound designer's dream. To, oh. Like I could do anything with that. So um, I've got like um, a blurring, never-ending mix of source material that, that just randomly mixes between a load of different layers. So my pitch-down reverse cat is on there. some some like gospel church sounds uh crying babies people laughing and and like you said my mum's fridge yeah I'd visit her one day and her fridge was just doing this weird pulsing vibration sound and I thought that's cool so I just stuck my my, my phone in there and recorded it and because obviously like a lot of this source as well because um I do so much heavy manipulation of it the in cases like that, the source doesn't need to be perfectly clean. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm already, I kill the the high and low end of it quite often as a starting point with this stuff to make it feel more like real to real tape stuff because they didn't really have a lot of like highs and lows. It was very mm. middly. Oh, and then I'm layering on loads of distortion and tape modulation and wow and flutter and stuff like that. So when you're doing that much manipulation, you can be pretty uh, uh, sort of open-ended with the, the source. So uh, sure. yeah, my cat's there. <laughs> Um, you know, with, with regards to being a horror lover and, um, I know you still actively are playing the game because this is a multiplayer game as well. Right. So there's ongoing things that you want to be aware of, or you just want to know what it's like, right. To experience it. Um, but talk to me about just 
scary music and what what scares you uh, as someone who's seen a lot of horror. Uh, yeah. And yeah, just talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I um, I've actually recently I've been thinking about putting together like a little like a YouTube discussion thing just for my own love of talking about it about what it means to make horror music just because I've thought about it so much over the the last few years um something that I've thought about a lot is that I think and I think we touched on this last time actually is the uh my dislike of uh signposting and um music as a comfort blanket generally in horror films um I think there's a big divide in the way people use music in horror and the a fairly traditional way will be, you know, like you get like rising dread tones when, when uh, you're about to have something horrible happen. Same as with visual cues, really like, you know, some films will, will hold your hand when you're coming up to something that's about to happen. That's awful. Other ones uh, will give you like no indication something terrible is about to happen or even sort of play with your expectations. Um, so I really don't like it when I'm being told something awful is about to happen because that just gives you a chance to mentally prepare. And I think it's kind of counter. So it's just against what, what we're trying to do with horror really like to, to scare and to, to make you feel out of your comfort zone. So, uh, films like, um, hereditary, I thought had, a, was really good for that. There was, there was mm. like a long ticking, pulsing rise, uh, through like the first act, I think almost of hereditary, that wasn't necessarily tied to the horrific events that happened in it. They just, it was just there causing you to be slightly unnerved and wondering why we're leading into something. So I guess from that point of view, you can kind of subvert that comfort blanket that, that people have done with horror for so many years. You can, you can like have like rising, like dread tones that don't actually go anywhere. And then that's kind of cool. Cause then it's taken that away from them because suddenly they it's they can't trust that 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 comfort blanket that they've they expect. So it's difficult with um with Texas Chainsaw because while I wanted to do as much as I could to like subvert people's expectations and to and to mess with them basically and and make them scared, uh there's a certain level of like um general video game information that does need to be conveyed to make it fair for them as a player. So um I try to make those elements fairly subtle. So like if, uh, if the bad guys are near you, there is like a low, slow rising bass pulse, but, um, uh, the music is playing at the same time. So you need to, um, actively be sort of listening for it. And, um, there are other times in the music, it'll kind of pulse up on its own. And so that there's still some like false positives in there. sure that there was plenty of sounds in the environment that sounded like the chainsaw or footsteps or human breath and things like that that weren't they're just like creaking oh, wood and stuff yeah. I, I would like bake in the, the sounds of like breath into like wind and stuff like that just to just to mess with people because <laughs> i mean that was my goal really is to make people as scared as possible <laughs> i feel bad now that i think about it <laughs> you do i think that's what they're there for to be honest yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, we spent quite a bit of time in our interview previously in the summer uh, talking about the chainsaw itself. And um, yeah. if I remember right, we talked even, you know, even about like the complexities of even recording something so freaking loud. Um, yeah. But uh, and so I kind of want to direct people to that to, to so we yeah. don't have to go over that again. But is there anything you want to add about that? Because that's uh, I don't want to we can't not talk about it. It's it's a, yeah. it's a big part of what you had to deal with. It was, um, it's probably the most difficult bit of sound design for my entire career. I think the chainsaw, um, because first of all, it's the Texas chainsaw massacre. Yeah. It had to be perfect and it wasn't perfect for a very long time. Like, mm. um, I was, I worked on it for so long and I tried from, from scratch again and again to get it sounding the way it needed to sound. And I kind of managed to convince myself every time I'd get to a point that I'd got it. And I must've known in my heart that, that it wasn't there because I would send it off to Wes for him to listen to. And I would kind of pad it with too much information, but Oh, so yeah, I think I've done this and I've done that. And I think it's good because of this. And that. if I knew it was perfect, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sending it with this paragraph of caveats. Or this. <laughs> so um, I'm really pleased that he didn't let me do anything less than what it needed to be. Um, because the last and final one, all I, I said it to him go, and I just said, uh, here it is, see what you think. <laughs> and uh, there was no paragraph of, of excuses and information surrounding it. Mm. I, I knew it was right. But um, I would have absolutely hated it if it wasn't right to yeah. It, I mean, to be playing the game now, if if I didn't love the way the chainsaw sounded, it would. I don't think I could even play it. To be honest, I'd, I'd be upset to to know that I hadn't done it justice. So mm -hmm. it was just it was a a difficult thing because you got um. It's it's like a, a like a triangle really of of things you have to be right in the middle of because you've got what that chainsaw really sounds like, um, and then you've got making it sound cool in a video game like normally if you do things like um like guns in games like sniper rifles and shotguns and things like that you've got what they really sound like which is one thing and then what people want them to sound like in a video game which quite often is very i mean i've fired shotguns and sniper rifles and i've made them in games there's almost no connection between the real ones and the, the ones in games yeah so i i, I had uh, making it cool in a game what it sounds like in real life and then the third bit of how it sounded in the film which was it's it's a very old film the recording was very different and uh you know didn't have the fidelity back then so it's very distorted very mid-range and and uh you know very chunky and dirty in the film and so those three elements i just sort of moved around this triangle trying to find the sweet the sweet spot but um yeah got there thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> We can come back to Texas, uh, or maybe we won't. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, it, you know, I literally just last night, just last night, I've been kind of searching for a deep dive gaming-wise of what to play. I mean, I've been playing Zelda all summer or whatever. I've played <laughs> Destiny for way longer than anyone should admit they play Destiny. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I just wanted a new thing, and uh, I finally downloaded Cyberpunk last night 2077 and 
I, but I didn't get a chance to explore what your role was, but you, did you yeah. make music for, for the, for cyberpunk? Um, I did the, all the in-game adverts, um, oh, cool. on, on the, the TV channels. It like, cause it's like, it's got that Blade Runner thing of just, there's like oversaturation of like screens and adverts everywhere. So I, mm -hmm. I did all of those. It's like 130 different mini tracks basically. Wow. Um, on all the, like the big billboards going by and on the sides of the skyscrapers. And then when in your lift and in your house. So, um, I didn't do the 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 core soundtrack. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a Marcin, their um, audio director, uh, music director. He wrote a lot of that, and they got a great team of internal composers. And then they they commissioned a load of music for the radio stations by um, really wide range of artists. But like, with, but it's great because they're like rapping about the the world that they lived in in the in the future and stuff like that. Yeah. So my involvement was um, just this in world stuff that that's. Although it's you know my in the grand scheme of that very big very awesome game my 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 part was just a little dinky one um, I'm I'm kind of unavoidable in that soundscape because <laughs> I love that uh, wherever you go there, there's um, there's always one of my my little jingles playing. <laughs> It was it was great fun it was incredibly hard work but incredibly good fun because i would just be sent um like 50 at a time of these adverts and they were uh we had loads of initial discussions he's saying like i don't want it to sound like blade runner i don't want it to be like uh too much of like any one genre and the, the most difficult part was he said i i want each of these ones to sound like it was written by a different composer <laughs> so <laughs> and go they had to do yeah. 130 like 10 second jingles each one sounding like a different composer which was um it was difficult but it was it was great fun the uh the very final one that i did as well uh right at the end of it was uh, it's it's just like a, a a little TV ident for a channel that just shows adverts. So the the other ones are all my other adverts and stuff. But this little weird ident had like all these crazy like cartoon graphics and psychedelic stuff. And I, it was about like I can't remember what it was, but it was the last one I did, and um, I was running out of time. And it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I'd been doing them for as long as I could remember. And I was <laughs> I was I was exhausted, and it's really weird <laughs> the music. <laughs> And but that's the one that you um you hear the most in the game by by quite a heavy margin. So <laughs> this this last strange little piece of music that I did is is unavoidable in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to play. Did you play it too, or did you were you too too you did? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was, I was really excited to play it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I have been too. I, just, I, I had no idea that that my stuff would be like used all over quite so much. Like oh, from the, the second you start playing, it's it's there in the background somewhere all the time. So uh, it was lovely, lovely to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really excited to get uh, to get into it. Maybe too excited. Um, <laughs> Uh, another one I have not played yet is Deathloop. And uh, I did interview Tom Salta. I have known Tom oh, for cool. years and years and years. And so Tom was on the show to talk about his Deathloop work. Um, yeah. But I haven't played it yet. 
Uh, <laughs> you got a BAFTA nomination for that, which is a really big deal. So, yeah. um, and and the music is fantastic, and uh, you know, of course, couldn't be more different than, as I'm sure is true with your cyberpunk music, couldn't be more different than Texas. So, uh, yeah. so talk about Death Loop and the pivot uh, there to like '60s psychedelic yeah. that, rock and stuff. It was it was um, it was great fun. Death Loop. Um, that came out of um it was the one of those sort of just nice sequence of events that meant that meant that i got to to work on it i'd i'd uh written a load of like original music and remixes for the game wolfenstein youngblood in like an 80s style and they did like a little spin-off game for that and deathloop's um developer arcane leon uh, just worked this little tiny little spin-off game but they were happy with the work i did for that so when they got deep into uh, Deathloop, they had uh, Tom writing all the core music, like he's lead composer on it. Uh, and then me and uh, a guy called Eric Talaba uh, worked on the, again, like the diegetic in-world music, same sort of situation as um, cyberpunk really, in that it's it's uh, just like coming out of speakers or in clubs, you'll hear it, and it's playing on radios dotted around. It's just, again, fairly unavoidable. It's just, it's around the map everywhere. Nice. Um, and yeah, it was, it's sort of a blend of styles for Deathloop, but it's sort of a late sixties into psychedelic rock with a little bit of like sort of experimental and almost industrial elements here and there. Um, I had, I've never written, I, I like, you know, like the doors and bands like that. I th I th they've got a fantastic sound, but it wasn't really um, instrumentation or like music that I'd, I'd ever done before. So there was mm. quite a learning curve to, um, to get that right i mean i was right i was back to writing more traditional because pop songs basically because um they're all the songs they're about usually about two minutes long and i make sure they get to the, the cool hooks and stuff really quickly because you tend to be just walking around the world so you want to make sure people hear the cool bits basically so yeah. almost the opposite of texas chainsaw and in that instead of long textural dark it was short punchy and poppy um but the uh the audio director um for Deathloop was was very knowledgeable in music and would really dig down into the details in a way that I massively appreciated that mm. there were points where uh, like one of the songs he wanted the the drum pattern to be more like the doors we got to the point of him like just giving me like a little guide of, of where he wants the kick and where he wants the stairs and things <laughs> right and but it wasn't fussing for the sake of fussing or anything like that the, yeah. the information was always valid and it helped and for each of those songs we'd get to a point and then he would just say yes that's it beautiful we've done it so yeah <laughs> got to sing on one uh i can't remember the name of it something about the sun though that much uh, sun goes down sun yeah. goes down which first of all your voice is fantastic i love your voice um <laughs> and so that was fun uh that you that you yeah. have to do that sun goes down
so I assume that was maybe for the radio, the radio in the game, or or something like that. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. of these tracks are sort of just supposed to be the the the, the people in the game are sort of just these eternal party people that are just enjoying the music and drinking and laughing and dancing all the time. So uh, all the songs are fairly light and catchy. Um, that one, I wanted to try like a Tom Waits kind of thing. So I, I tried to do like a, a big gravelly voice. Uh, and it was fun. I just, I hadn't um, spoken to them about whether or not what they thought about me throwing some vocals in and I just sent it to him and he liked it. So, so it's cool. I got away with it. <laughs> It's, it's fun to, to hear me doing that weird Tom Waits voice in, in that game world. <laughs> world spins round The sun goes down Our love is forever We'll be here together And then there was like a, I mean, the second it started, I was like, oh, there's two people getting busy. There's like horns and an organ. And um, of course, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. oh, Heartbreaker is the name of the track that I just, I yeah. burst out laughing. Talk about Heartbreaker. That was, uh, I think that's primarily for use in this, like sort of uh, some lounge, some lounge clubs in it that you can go to with lots of like heart decorations and low lights and sort of a, a, a moody 70s sort of yeah, loungy, chilled environment. And um, I've never really written a lot of that, well, nothing like that really. <laughs> <laughs> That's far away from my industrial roots or like the horror stuff I'm doing now. So writing like some smooth lounge jazz was 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 really pleasant. It, it went surprisingly well. I mean, it's really not my area, but but it was a lot of fun to write. I got to do that. one of the other ones was uh, had like a, a lot of sitars and sort of a slightly sort of Indian vibe to it, mm. which is fun as well. Because obviously, that you know, for the for this sort of like hippie and into psych rock roots, that there's nice to touch on that sort of sitari sort of sound. So mm. again, I like I, I've always loved this kind of music. Um, uh, there's, there's always a little bit of me that's a, a hippie, I think. So <laughs> uh, getting to, to play sitars and smooth sax and stuff it's 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 a treat <laughs> Uh, what what is your main instrument? 
Um, I mean, I grew up playing uh, guitar, but really since uh, my late teens, um, just I'd say just just keyboards, not so much piano, because uh, I've, I've got no uh, classical training. Uh, my my piano playing, guitar playing, are very much sort of band guy uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> versions of it. That there's yeah. there's very little. Um, yeah, now obviously I know more than I did when I was younger, but yeah. but still, um, I, I start most songs. I just I'll turn on a piano sound and I'll start playing with a few chords or or mm -hmm. a hook, and then I go from there. And I've I've always done that. So you know, nineteen out of twenty times, anything that I'm writing, uh, I'll I'll sit down at piano and just okay. play it a little bit. Okay. But, um, yeah, I've, I've I'm a generalist, I, I would say. Uh, and yeah, from all my years, my, my band and everything, that's like industrial music. So I, I write for keyboards, but it's mm -hmm. just layered synth and stuff like that, mostly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great segue. Let's go ahead and talk about Goteki. Um, I just, from the first opening chords, I was like, yep, this, this is up my alley. I love it. <laughs> There's so much music out there. You've got a ton of it up on Bandcamp. I don't know yeah. if all of that is on Spotify or not, but um, but there's there's a lot out there. Uh, so talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Just talk about that's, that for a minute. <laughs> that's that's been my, well most of my life really. I um, uh, I was like a I was a goth in in my late teens, uh, and I was really very super heavily obsessively heavily into the into the UK goth scene, and which ties into the industrial music scene they're kind of uh mm -hmm. they've always been linked like it's very like if you go to a, a goth club they'll play industrial music and vice versa so um i'd always been playing around with music uh and uh like my family were they're not musicians but they're, they're very musical they've always loved it and my dad and i would play guitars together mm -hmm. so it, it's always been in me to do music and just to play it for fun and stuff and i was like i was I was in this the goth and industrial scene in my late teens and things. I I just kind of started getting jealous of all the people writing the music. I, like, I would <laughs> I would write some industrial music. So I bought my my first keyboard. Um, and uh, my first band was like a kind of a comedy goth band called Sneaky Bat Machine, where we did uh, like really really happy goth songs, <laughs> which is a bit of a yeah strange <laughs> strange <laughs> blend of of things, but. Um, it actually went quite well. People liked it, but it was kind of uh, limited in its scope. And <laughs> I think it was when I was about 22 or 20, something that young anyway, uh, I, I moved over into my new band, Goteki. Uh, so I think Goteki's about 23 years old now. Like wow. uh, there were, for my 20s to my 30s, I was just working in clothes shops and doing part-time jobs and things and always spending all my, just passionately working on my band um never really thinking about uh like other avenues that i could do to 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 make money professionally as as a musician because mm. i mean i never <laughs> never made much of anything with my band it was very popular at various times we we played all over the world but mm. you know uh as like a small to mid industrial band that that's not a <laughs> that's that's not a, a career financially so <laughs> um but it's Goteki's always been there and it still is. We we just played um 
uh, a really nice gig at a festival in the UK about four weeks ago. Uh, oh, we, my band, I, one other guy, uh, Ali, my friend is in the band. It's just the two of us now. And we, we gig when we can, but you know, with, with my composing career now, it's more difficult, but mm. it's, I, I've kept it ticking over through the years and I'll release an album every few years now. Uh, I, I don't have the capacity to do it that, you know, like, uh, 40 gigs a year or whatever it was I was doing when I was younger. But um, yeah. it's, I love it when I do, I always, I get stressed now because it's so long between gigs. I get really nervous and stressed and tense and worked <laughs> up and then I'll do the gig and remember why, why I like playing live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Uh, how many, and so how many, how many full albums do you have? Would you say how many? Yeah. Um, it's, four albums and then I think about four remix albums and then about 20, 25 EPs and singles and things mm -hmm. and a lot of just uh -huh. other peripheral bits yeah. and probably 30 or 40 remixes for people over the years and stuff. So so if yeah, if anyone's interested, there's, there's no shortage of content. <laughs> it's all, I... like the bulk of it's on Spotify and, and yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. And you do instrumentals too, which is cool. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think um, big. Yeah, like we we touched on. I'm big fan of, of Depeche Mode and and Nine Inch Nails um, mm -hmm. and bands like that. And yeah, like uh, and David Bowie, who's, who's always been my biggest influence. But like Bowie and Trent Reznor, they, they've they've never been scared to throw like a few instrumental tracks in on the albums in between all the all the vocal tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's nice. It kind of different energy to them and um i think doing those instrumental tracks certainly helped me uh yeah later on in my career when when it came to understanding what it means to write a track with no vocals because there's a different different feel to it yeah so yeah always enjoyed them you know a lot of bringing in a lot of samples and stuff like that of course um talk about that i mean do you hear a sample and or you know hear a clip of audio and and just automatically that's your inspiration for the song or how how does that kind of play into the creative process it was um it was kind of a uh, a standard part of industrial music in in the the 90s that um uh a lot of the 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 biggest songs of that genre and stuff it was just very common for them to throw in clips from things they loved i mean you can't really do it so much now it was it was the early days and and nobody was really thinking about like licensing and copyright things they just be like yeah. oh i'm going to put in a cool little clip from alien yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and nowadays um this, i guess that's why you don't really hear it anymore but um yeah back then like when we did gigs we, we would often just uh bring like a little sampler with a load of like touch 
buttons on, on the front and just load it from disc with like little samples from from like horror films we liked and sci-fi films and we would just play them and run it through like a effects channels live so we'd have like looping clips from alien and star wars and stuff like that <laughs> but um yeah you can't really do that now <laughs> do you have about all the different ways of dying you know violently i wonder like what would be the most horrible way to die do you ever fantasize about being killed We haven't talked about sci-fi. Like, what are you a Doctor Who guy? Are you a Star Trek guy? Are you a Star Wars guy? Are you all of the above guy? What's your What's your sci-fi flavor? I mean, yeah, I was born in '77, so uh, I've got Star Wars in my veins. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I grew up loving Star Wars. Um, uh, the I mean, like the Alien films. I I, I think uh, as now that I'm older, I, I do love sci-fi that touches on horror a little bit. So like Alien, yeah. Predator, things like that, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of. But but obviously, yes, yeah, Star Wars was just uh, something I grew up with. Um, I, I got to, to to work with Mark Hamill for for one week uh, really? when I, at the previous place that where we were working on the game uh, Star Citizen, which is a, a big, yeah. huge, crowdfunded like sci-fi open universe game. It's fantastic, and, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I had to stand in for a week uh, for another guy down at the uh, the motion capture sessions in London. So I spent a week working with Mark Hamill, and it was just it was just as wonderful as I hoped it would be. He's <laughs> he was adorable, and just they Love couldn't it. stop him talking about Star Wars. He would just come out with anecdote after anecdote about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think that side of it. Um, and uh, I've done quite a few sci-fi games over the years, I did, like Aliens vs. Predator and Crisis 1, 2, and 3, which were yeah. uh, really nice uh, sci-fi games to work on. Like that kind of sound design and stuff is a real pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a interesting and difficult thing building up like sci-fi uh, understandable feedback because those games have a lot of technical weapons and armor and spaceships mm-hmm. and stuff like that so you need a lot of beeps and boops to to um to tell people what's going on when weapon needs reloading or a ship is landing so the difficulty for that is is keeping those languages understandable and not layering them too heavily so that it just becomes you know a mishmash of sci-fi noise which is what it always does in the middle of the project and then you have to stop and think okay this this is just <laughs> space noise now <laughs> we need to <laughs> untangle this a little bit yeah so yeah they were they were cool games to work on you said earlier something about um you know when you were working really hard on the band and you were you know working retail or however you said it yeah. um and you hadn't really explored other avenues to to make money as a musician yeah. um so talk about when that happened and then also when sound design became a part of your kind of arsenal you know because it's a long way from pushing samples on stage to like being a sound designer, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 very specific to to a person, really. I um, uh, I was playing with my band Goteki at um, 
uh, a festival in the UK. And um, as backstage after we played and someone said, uh, I've got a friend of a friend here who, who loves your band. He would like to just come say hi and chat about your band stuff. And obviously that's lovely. So uh, it turned out to be uh, Graham Norgate, who's um, the composer for GoldenEye and Perfect Dark and yeah. a load of classic games and Time Splitters. Uh, at that point, me and my friends in our little house in Bristol in the south of the UK, we were playing Time Splitters every day for, for hours. We loved it. So... Um, <laughs> He introduced himself and said how much he liked my band and just being polite. I said, oh, so what do you do? And so oh, I write music for games like Time Splitters. And I went absolutely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that became the beginning of um, uh, a very long friendship. We're still, we're, we're like brothers now, basically. We, oh, we've wow. written a load of music together. We've worked together in various companies. But um, he liked my music enough to, to let me have some opportunities writing on Time Splitters 2. And uh, just for one track on that, and that went well. So um, I wrote more for Time Splitters three, and then he started getting me as like a, a, a like a freelancer, just doing some dialogue editing and some sound effects and things like that. And then okay. the, the company uh, he worked for, Free Radical, uh, they're expanding, and he had the opportunity to hire someone. So he said, "Come up and do an interview, and we'll see how it goes." Um, so the like you said though, um, when I started. Uh, yeah, my background was purely as a musician. Uh, so I think the the cool thing is that the those skills are very transferable into sound design. Like if if you need to make uh, like a uh, a laser gun firing, the the things you need to do to get that sounding cool and punchy are, are really no different from making a kick drum sound punchy in a track. It's still mm. you know pushing the transients, making sure that it's across the frequency band, making sure it's got a nice attack and curves nicely, all that, all that stuff. So like when I'm working here, um I, I use Cubase uh for everything, okay. which is quite uncommon these days. It's more of a, a yeah. composer's tool, not a sound designer's tool. But I I use it for both sound design and music and always have. Okay. So the work, the the creative process for me for sound design or music is there's really no difference whatsoever in it. It's it's the same tools, the same software, sitting yeah. in the same place. So yeah. I think it has always for me just been one creative process. I've never had a strong distinction between them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly, especially being an electronic musician, you know, obviously you learned a ton of skills to to. Yeah, crossover for sure. I think you're you're right. I, I mean, it was never something that was planned or anything, but yeah, the fact that writing electronic music means you you pick your sources from from wherever you want, and mm -hmm. maybe unlike industrial music as well, throwing in uh, noises like Nine Inch Nails do, they'll use like pitch down the sound of like cameras reloading or metal hits and stuff like that. So I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but before I knew what sound design was really, I was kind of sound designing when I was building those tracks. So right, right. Pretty fortunate. Well, and I mean, anyone who's worked with layered audio can know how big of a shit show that can become quickly. So, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine how complex it is. Just the audio design of electronic music is is tremendously complex because of the, well, I mean, that's true for recording I think probably all music, but I think with electronic music, you can, you know what I'm getting at, right? It can just become a muddy yeah. mess. Yeah. I think so. I mean, um, yeah, like you say, I, I think, you know, uh, recording for an orchestra, you, you, it's the, there's the same principles going on of groups doing bass sounds, layering up through the octaves and stuff yeah. like that. But, um, 
with you don't have the the structure and, and the um the the useful limitations of orchestral composing where uh you know famously certain combinations of instruments work really well or certain sections can handle something in particular um <laughs> and i mean i've I've written a lot of music. I think I've only released uh, for songs and things probably ten percent of the stuff that I've written. And wow. yes, like sometimes it does become just it loses its way, and it just becomes a big wash of electronic noise that that's just meaningless. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had plenty of times, as I'm sure all composers have, where I didn't even save the project. <laughs> and I'll just after three or four hours, I'll just say, "Well, this is crap," and just close it and walk away. <laughs> They can't, they can't all be brilliant. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so Texas Chainsaw has a soundtrack release and a vinyl, right? Yes. Yep. Which is very exciting. Um, uh, what else do you want people to know about any... I mean, there's so much to, to talk about still, but, um, you know, Texas or, or anything else? Um. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I think uh, if people haven't played it, uh, even if you're not in particular like a, a, a horror fan, um, give it a go because it, it's it's a, it's really is a thrilling experience. And if you're interested in the music I've I've made for it, uh, definitely listen to the soundtrack. But as yeah. as I said before, that those are montages of elements of the game. And if you want to really understand the music that I wrote for it, you have to play the game and experience it and see how every time you play, it'll be different and how it builds and swells and messes with you and stuff. So um, like people with the, the Microsoft consoles, um, if you have the Game Pass, which is the subscription service, you can play it for free as well. You can just get that. But um, if, if even if you're not a gamer, but you're interested in how this music sounds, then at the very least, I would say just just watch some streamers playing it or watch some some footage on YouTube mm -hmm. to get a better understanding of how it works. Um, I, I really learned a lot from consciously uh, listening to like dynamic soundtracks of games like Red Dead Redemption and things like that that had these really cool systems. So if you're interested in, in game music and dynamic music, uh, hopefully if you just play or, or watch people playing the game then i think you can get a lot out of that so i'd highly recommend that yeah um but yeah i hope people enjoy the vinyl as well it's 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 very pretty i love it <laughs> it's <laughs> very... ordered so many copies they sent me a load of copies very kindly but um, i i ordered a load more as well <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna paper the walls with them or what <laughs> i just want to make sure that, that i can give them to everybody and anybody that comes to my house <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> whether they want it or not. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think too, you know, because you're still actively playing the game, like, which I, yeah. I love that because, I mean, I work in radio. And so when I get home, if I've done, you know, six hours of radio, I tend to not come home and then turn on the radio, which some people do. I'm not that person. <laughs> Sometimes I am, but you know what I mean? But so, and that's got nothing to do with what I'm about to say, because mm -hmm. it seems like um, if, if things weren't quite right in that game, I don't think you would find such pleasure in playing it. You know what I mean? So I think it speaks yeah. to the craftsmanship uh, uh, of what you did and what you achieved just by the fact that you relax by playing that game which is really cool you know yeah i, th I think that's that's a good point actually and uh i i've found it quite difficult 
uh, over the years to, to to listen to anything I've done once it's released because you know like like you know anybody that that's makes creative things all you kind of see is the problems and the mistakes and the things you didn't do once once yeah. it's released um so while while you know um there are always going to be things that that I would like to have added and and just stuff like that um this game more than any other that I've done I think I'm, I'm able to actually listen to it without without cringing and with without stressing because um yeah yeah I, I think I used the, the time well and I, I think I I, I managed to get in pretty much everything I wanted to get in, which which was great. Yeah. Um, also, it's because it's um, it's a live service, which is a very sort of modern thing. Uh, it used to be, you know, back when we'd make games that are primarily physical copies, it would be crazy, crazy push to get it done. Bam, you get it done. It's finished. And uh, it's kind of... Um, that was nice in some ways, but also it meant that if I made mistakes or anything like that, or forgot to do something, I had to live with that forever. Whereas at least now we have like rolling updates and things like that. So if there's anything that I suddenly notice or I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about that, then there is a chance to fix, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. Uh, what else are you playing right now? In I'm sure you don't have all kinds of free time to play, but but maybe you do. And, and what else are you playing? <laughs> um yeah i mean i generally i don't have a huge amount of time these days i i do like like say i like to play a little bit of texas chainsaw like if 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 my music work is sort of wrapped up at sort of 9 or, or 10 p.m i'm like okay i think i've earned a little bit of play time then i'll just do a couple of rounds either with with my friends or family or with just with strangers is, is fascinating as well <laughs> so um uh, I'm about to play the the new cyberpunk expansion just because it'll be a pleasure to go back to it. Yeah. And um, uh, the the team that you know that I was working for for supplying the music are great guys, and their uh, their lead audio coder um, Colin Walder. He's a long we've worked together in a load of companies. He's an old friend, so he's been telling me about all the the improvements that they've got a big new patch that, that that fixes and improves and adds a huge amount of content to it so yeah. i'm excited to see that and for the sake of experiencing what the team have done i'm just looking forward to getting back into it yeah and it's just such a rich world and the, oh. the 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 style of music that they they wrote for it it's like a, a genre in itself it's you know, you hear people copying that style now but that wasn't really a pre-existing style of music it's mm. it sort of touches on industrial and synth wave and uh stuff Reggaeton, like that but yeah yeah but it's it's very much its own thing and it's very identifiably mm -hmm. cyberpunk so yeah. i'm pleased they're finally getting the recognition and from the press and stuff that they deserve for that yeah which is cool. yeah yeah i'm i'm glad i'm getting into it i i've been wanting to from the start but of course the start was troubled and and so i just kind of held off and then it, you know, there's been a, free, I have a PlayStation and there's been a free demo on there for ages. And I just, I guess I was just finally in the right place. And then I looked at the price and I'm like, oh my God, it's on sale for 40 bucks. I'm just going to buy it. <laughs> and so I yeah. bought it. And also knowing that there was this big expansion that just came out, which is supposed to be pretty fantastic. So yeah, I've been really, really um, excited since I downloaded it last night. And it's probably what I'm going to do a little bit later today, which is fun. Um, but but yeah, anything else that you've been playing lately over the summer or um, mostly just uh, Texas and, and the like? What else did I play? I feel like I'm missing something. I've been... Um... I've been waiting for a quieter time to play uh, the remake of Last of Us Part One because uh, I'm a 
I'm a huge, huge fan of of uh, that game generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Every aspect of it—the um, yeah. the, the acting, the directing, the storytelling, the ambient sound, the music—I just think it's it's a masterclass in you know classy design. Um, so I, I wanted to to really have some proper time to dig in and play it without feeling guilty that I, I should be doing uh, you know other music and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I love that game. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just. I think it's uh, it's sort of elevated, you know, games yeah. overall. I think it's just it's proven that they they can be a very classy, uh, you know, mature um, medium for people to to, to you know, to work in. So mm-hmm. I just love it. It's just beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I I love it too, and and I love the show, and I also loved yeah. how you know we gamers who played it years and years ago knew what was coming. And mm. then there's the reaction of non-gamers at the end of the first season. <laughs> and like still to this day, my friend Sam, who mixes the show, he's producer, he's, he's audio engineer okay. and composer and artist and all those things. Um, uh, nerd, nerd friend. Um, <laughs> we'll still like kind of argue about it in a way, you know, which is <laughs> funny because uh, I'm like, you're t- 10 years late now like we all had these discussions years and years ago (laughs) but (laughs) um but I love that and I love that they uh that it's kind of taken on a new life in that way yeah um definitely yeah um so that's been that's been great I did actually download it and start to play it (laughs) and I got (laughs) it's not long before you stumble across clickers right I mean that happens pretty early (laughs) and I'm just like no, no, no. <laughs> I made it through once. I'm not going to do that to myself again. It's so funny. Um, but It is a difficulty when games are so scary. Uh, I guess, I mean, maybe with Texas Chainsaw, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, even myself, I, even though I make all those sounds, there's been times when I've screamed and dropped my controller. <laughs> I literally made every sound that that I'm hearing here that's scaring me, but I still get scared by it. But um, I mean, this game's like an alien isolation that that I was so stressed and scared and sweaty, shaky hands playing it that in the end, I I didn't quite finish it. I just thought, am I? This game is wonderful. It's a masterpiece, but I'm not sure if I'm having fun. Because it was supposed to be my chill time in the evening. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm sure people have the same thoughts about Texas now. It's like this. This is the. Hopefully, it's it's equal parts fun and terrifying. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, it's been really successful, and so congrats to you and the whole team on that. Um, Just been uh, really fun to learn about it, and (laughs) independently of that, it's been uh, super fun just to hear. Uh, so much of your music over the years and and your personal stuff. I love that. And oh, um, yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's lovely that the people are enjoying it. That's all we could yeah. have hoped for when after the, the team was very passionate uh, about it. So yeah. all we wanted was for people to love it and play it. And that's happened. So mm-hmm. yes, we're, we're absolutely delighted. Good. <laughs> all right. Well, Ross, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add before we take off for the day um no i don't think so i mean if anybody has any questions about the sound design or the music i'm, I'm easy to find on on like twitter and youtube and stuff um i do loads of little videos just talking about aspects of it just for because i love 
talking about it but um i'm always happy to answer people's questions so just find me and ask away and i'll try and help awesome great thanks so much ross no problem For listening to this episode of Level with Emily. You can learn more about Ross Turgenza, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with Ross over on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe and like and get all the notifications, all those things, so you don't miss anything. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. <laughs> You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.